Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. And those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. We know that employers spend a lot of time and energy on the entire employee life cycle from sourcing to onboarding straight through retention, engagement, and of course, exit interviews. While the problem of employee engagement can be directly linked to major losses, the underpinnings of poor engagement are much more complex. Today's guest will explore some of the hidden factors that lead to greater employee engagement. Jason Troy is an executive coach who helps executives, managers, and employees to maximize their leadership and management abilities and perform at the highest levels. He provides coaching, workshops, keynote speaking, and other training services. Jason also has an in-the-trenches experience, helping build a billion-dollar company and working with many Fortune 100 companies. He spent 15 plus years working in marketing leadership positions in Silicon Valley, where he worked with influential leaders such as Steve Jobs, Apple and Pixar, Reed Hastings, CEO at Network, Mark Cuban, Mark Hurd, CEO at HP, Paul Wall, president of SAP, and many others. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. We are excited to have you. Hey, well, thanks for having me on the show and speaking to your fantastic tribe. Absolutely. Uh, Let's just jump right in. Why is the lack of employee engagement one of the top three organizational challenges today? Well, I mean, one of the challenges is Gardner had had a stat they put out not that long ago that only 16% of the workforce is fully engaged and actually working at their peak performance. And that causes a huge challenge, right? Because there's a huge productivity loss because people are not engaged, motivated, sharing ideas. They're just going to work like zombie employees. And the companies that actively get people to be focused on the work and excited to come and communicating and collaborating Um, through teamwork, um, really get to see significant performance benefits, and they're going to be the companies that are leading. Can you talk a little bit specifically how, you know, I mean, I think it's pretty clear, but how does that hurt company performance, and how does it affect poor teamwork? Well, Harvard put out a a stat that they did over um, an 11-year period of time looking at 200 companies and looking at strong cultures and things like teamwork. And they found those organizations that were able to perform high in those areas, their net operating income increased 756% versus the companies who are low on the scale. It only went up 1%. I mean, and there's so many other stats that go along with it. You can just go take, you know, literally Google them and find out. And really the problem comes down to when you're at work, if you don't feel connection to the people that you're working with and a sense of belonging 
which leads into your purpose of why you're getting up in the morning and going through those doors or working virtually, I mean, you're not going to fully show up. And when we don't fully show up, we don't fully engage and we're losing out on the benefit of how people work together, right? And companies like Google have found out through Project Aristotle that the top performing teams and employees, it has nothing to do with individual performance, meaning it, having a bunch of all-stars on your team is not going to ensure that you perform at a high level. It's the social cohesion and the connection between people that is the key driver for company and organizational success, whether that's a solopreneur or all the way up to someone in a Fortune 10 company. I mean, I've, I've heard those numbers before um, a lot of times, and I'd be shocked if uh, any of our listeners didn't know how big of a, an issue employee engagement is. Um, and if the HR people know, then presumably the executives and the managers and the leaders should also know too. And why why are they not being more proactive about this problem? Well, I think the pro, I, I, you know, the same thing when I started doing this research three years ago and really going into Fortune, you know, top ten workplaces and really seeing how teams interact and organizations. I think people fundamentally know at a high level, like you said, what's going on. But the problem is, is how do you actually fix it? Because telling people to communicate better, working better in teams, communicating, all of that's really nice, but people will go back to their default way of doing things over a period of time. And I think the key is that you have to understand a couple of principles. One is that trust is absolutely essential. And how you escalate trust between people is the same way you do in your personal life. It's through vulnerability and it's through caring. And unless you get people in a workplace to be vulnerable with each other and share and get to know people on a deep level, they can't build up adequate levels of trust and they don't care about each other and they can't have a contribution mindset, which leads to engagement. And I think that becomes the problem, right? And how you do that with people, Brene Brown talks a lot about this and, you know, Amy Edmondson as well, is really through vulnerability. And there are a lot of opportunities, I think, to be vulnerable and to share as a leader and to practice that. The challenge is a lot of vulnerability is really event-driven, right? You have to have a company meeting. Um, some health scare someone has, some company performance is challenged, right? Some major thing that you have to galvanize around. Well, the one part that's not is self-disclosure. And that's self-disclosing is sharing information about yourself with other people. And when you look at the highest performing teams, and Amy Edmondson talks about psychological safety, and that's really feeling like you can speak up, you can share information, well, again, you have to think about in your personal life, the people that you can do that with the most and the easiest, and really the only people you do are people in your inner circle, the people that you care about, your family, your best friends. I mean, really certain people like that. Well, you have to create that like environment at work, no matter what size it is, or people aren't going to show up and share information across the board. 
And as I was looking and researching and watching the difference between like the top 1% teams versus, you know, the top 10 or top 20 or, you know, bottom half teams, the difference was is that everyone in the top team, right, knew each other like they would family or best friends. Now you can strip out the family or the best friends because I don't think that's essential that you be that close or really necessarily like those people. It's that you know them that well. And you know their experiences, you know where they came from, you know their hot buttons, their pet peeves, how to support them, when to communicate with them, how to give them information in a way that they can actually look at it, right? Because some people like to be communicated with a tons of details. Other people just like high level information and then talk through the rest with them. Well, that all may seem sort of simplistic, but that is what people do who communicate well. Because when you ask people a question, like if I asked everyone listening to this, tell me about the best team you've ever been on. When you sit down and you tell me either personally or professionally what that team was and what you accomplished in the emotions, I've asked this to thousands of people now. No one mentions IQ, where they went to school, any of the background things. They talk about how they just flowed with each other and they knew what the other person was thinking and they could count on that person and they could share and they knew that person would have their back. Well, that's what people in your personal life do. And I think what happens is, is we forget that because we're in business and we think we have to be all buttoned up or have to have some super complex answer when many times the same applications outside of work apply inside. It's very interesting. Um, I particularly am interested by the concept of vulnerability. You know, a lot of HR compliance revolves around HR, I mean, I might get some flack for saying this, but not knowing things, you know, like, for example, if you have a job applicant sitting in front of you and they have a a disability that isn't apparent, um, you might not want to know that because it could cause legal issues for you later on. If it turns out that you turn down the job, turn them down for the job, you know, and, and then they could turn around and maybe say, oh, it's because, you know, I have a disability. You know, and that's just a small example, but it's, you know, I've seen it in a lot of places in HR. And I guess what I'm saying is that vulnerability uh, could just mean risk. You know, you could say to an HR uh, professional, you need to be more vulnerable. You need to have your employees be more more vulnerable. And they could just hear risk, 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 risk. How would you address that? Well, I'm sure that there are risks, but but here's what happens. When in most organizations, when you feel like you belong or you care, I think lawsuits and other challenges and things go way down, right? Because one of the things that I've done is one of the processes is do, I play this game um, I created called Cards Against Mundanity, and it's a group exercise where people just share question and answer, and they're very vulnerable questions in groups full of people. And I've probably played this now with like 15,000 people. I thought at one point after going through large companies and small companies, I'd get someone complaining, someone going to HR, someone really having a huge issue with it. Five had zero complaints. And wow. I, think what, I think what happens is, is when you allow people to fully show up and belong, they give you a lot more latitude. Now, I'm not saying that you won't have problematic employees, right? And the issue you brought up is very real. And I do, obviously, you have to know the legalities and risks and manage them appropriately. 
But I think if you live in a world in which you're not getting to know people, right, and not sharing yourself, you are going to lose out on significant amount of performance, right? And so a lot of the time, sure, maybe you have a lawsuit, but the upside is significant that actually covers what a lawsuit would cost, right? Because your company is performing much more. Mm-hmm. If you really want to look at it in terms of the dollars and cents overall on the bottom line. I mean, and again, if you live in a world that has to be 100% or zero in terms of risk, I mean, good luck, right? I mean, Jeff Bezos <laughs> talked about how he manages Amazon. He moves with 70% of the information, right? And they're a top 10 um, you know, company in terms of fortune companies, right? And I mean, it's obviously massive. So he's operating without a net a significant amount of time, and he's the guy running the company. So I think you have to learn from people and companies that are being really successful um, you know, and of course, too, you do have to manage risk, like you're mentioning. And, and there are things I think you can do intelligently when it comes to this. But most of the time, it's about workers. It's about people in marketing, communicating with people in engineering or people in human resources, um, talking with the CFO, right? And helping figure out what is a really employee cost, right? And what are people leaving? What is that costing, right? And all of these conversations are not going on because people are not open. They're not vulnerable. They're not really listening to anyone else. And that causes more problems and more productivity loss and performance loss, which leads to bottom line loss. Yeah. You know, um, I've kind of encountered, you know, this concept a few times and it's, it's like, if your business is always, having people that are unmotivated. Like if you're, you know, if you're, if your uh, workforce has 85% of the people aren't engaged, but they've always been that way, it can be hard for you as an, as, especially as a leader, but also as an HR professional to know, because you're not losing it from last year. How, how, do you have any ideas for how people can sort of take a snapshot, get the pulse of their, of their workers? Well, I mean, I, I think right now it's pretty easy to err on the side that they're not engaged. I mean, I think that if an easy thing to start doing is start asking, is going around and asking people questions, um, you know, tell me about the most important lesson you've learned in the last year, right? Like, who's your personal hero? A- ask them questions of people that you actually know, right? I mean, not people you don't know, but people that you know very well in the organization, right? So I'd tell someone in HR, make a list of the top three people that you believe you know really well. Well, if you ask them questions like I gave you and probably another eight or nine questions along with it, you'll realize how little you know of the people that you actually work with. Hmm. And when you start to understand that you, and then think to yourself, The people that you interacted the best with, the people you've worked with, the people you've collaborated both personally and professionally, you've really known well. And you've got to a place where you knew information about them from their past, other things that really helped you interact with them. And we take that for granted. But that has to be across the entire workforce. And I think that's the problem is that we're not acting like that and we're not sharing things and getting to know people. And also a lot of the times what will happen is people don't like each other because they don't know each other and they're looking for differences and they're not seeing the commonalities between them. 
and they're all and they're closed off from the possibilities, right? Like one of the first groups I did, I was in a medium-sized organization, and there were two senior leaders that were women, and they were not getting along at all, and it was causing a significant disruption in the organization. And we did a group exercise, and I asked the group to go around and ask about the biggest loss that they've had in the last five years, right? Which is a pretty vulnerable question. And one of them said their mom, and the other person said their dog. Now, you and I both know, and everyone else listening, they're not the same. <laughs> but people, that they both bonded on that question on an emotional level of loss, and I heard them walk out of the room and have the first conversation anyone said that hasn't been, has been sort of collegial and caring in as long as they ever remember them, right? And then they went out to lunch a week later for the first time ever. And 30 days later, they were actually social friends, like actual friends outside of work doing things together. And so the problem is we make up all these false narratives about people and stories that aren't really true. Brene Brown, again, talks about this, right? And we make up stories about the people that are around us that aren't true. And then that defines our relationship. So I think we have to communicate better to get to know people because then we don't make up these stories and we find out the things that are true. And the problem in the workforce today, one of the biggest problems is we make assumptions rather than actually gathering facts about individuals. What, you know, it seems like it would take, you know, considerable effort and uh, a lot of time on the part of an HR manager and, you know, executives, if they were to, you know, ha have to go out there and get to know, get to know their employees. Um, what data would you bring to them about how productive this can be so that they could say, okay, it's worth me taking the time to do this? Well, I mean, I, I can give you anecdotally, when, when I've been doing this, I've been doing a survey pre and post when I've been running these groups. And I, you know, I'll, I'll do a workshop portion of it. And then I do the actual questions. So let's just strip out the workshop and just doing the questions over 45 minutes. What I've found is that the average, you can increase trust, engagement and team closeness by 20%, which is significant in 45 minutes. Wow. And if you think about that, I mean, the data out there says that's a six-figure spend and probably five or ten years for you to gain that information if you just did it. Plus, you can start doing these in groups, right? So I did this at Google, and I did it for 300 people and just put them in groups. Again, they could, you could make up any questions. I, I had my own, but it really doesn't matter. It's just getting people to be vulnerable. Um, and what I found was that and I did this in May of last year, May 1st, like over the summer, 13 different engineers from India who had never been to the U.S. outside of work brought their families and vacationed with their U.S. counterpart. And I just contacted them lately and they're communicating and collaborating better because they know each other. And imagine that they're all their families from these, these families over in India never had been to the U.S. either. And mm -hmm. within a couple of months they came over and did all that, right? And here's another study. Um, Professor Arthur Aaron did a famous study back in 1997. And he was trying to create interpersonal closeness between people. And so he started out with 54 grad students who were complete strangers. And he sat them across the table from each other and the only thing they knew were their names. And over 45 minutes, they asked each other 36 questions. And the questions were pretty vulnerable. Like, I think one of the last sets of questions was, 
it, they had a question in there, which was, tell me three things you like about me. Now, that's pretty hard for someone to answer if you barely know anyone, and let alone you're getting to know them probably for 30-some minutes and have to share that information with a complete stranger. But what's really incredible about that, that um, experiment, and they've, he's done it dozens of times since then, is that 30% of the people rated their relationship from the person across from them as the closest relationship in their life. Right? Everyone needs to hear that because 30% of the people created the closest relationship in their lives with a complete stranger. That means I could take every person listening to this podcast now. I could go down to a coffee shop anywhere, any place in the world. I could grab three people and you'd walk away with essentially a best friend. And I've done it before and it works and it would work for you. And the reason is, is the bar is so low, a snake could crawl, crawl across it because we don't really know people like we think that we do. Because I play this game and I, all the time in questions and every time I think to myself, well, it's a different scenario, it's a different vertical, it's a different industry, it's a different set of people, different age group, like will it really work? And the answer is the same because we all want to belong and connect, right? So if you're in a large company, you can spend very little time and this essentially is really free, right? Because you're just asking questions and you can do it. And the power is even more so in a group than it is in one-on-one. -on -one. Because then what happens in a group of people is that when, if you do it with like six or eight people, you don't need everyone in the group to galvanize around each other. All you have to do is find one or two people that you really connect with and your engagement will shoot through the roof. That is very interesting, um, especially the part where people become super close friends in such a short period of time. Um, you Earlier you mentioned uh, Project Aristotle. Do you mind just elaborating on that? Yep. So back in 2012 and 2014, what Google did was they started to recognize in the company that they had high performers and they were trying to understand why those individuals were high performing and those teams. Because the theory behind it was is that if we can figure out why those teams and people are performing, we can organically grow in the company, right? So we can grow the bottom line and we can do it on a global perspective. And they didn't say this, but in essence, if you start doing it, you're really doing it at zero cost because you're not increasing the cost. You're just doing things differently. So they tried to look for individual trends such as IQ or background or where they went to school um, to see what indicators they would be, right? And then they could do the hiring, promotion, every other process in the company. Well, what they found was that no individual characteristics had any patterns across any of these teams. And what they found, though, was social connection and social cohesion were the key. And they found that psychological safety was the number one factor for all of their high-performing teams globally in every country. And without psychological safety there was no high performance period. Huh. And it's, it's pretty, I think that should open up people's eyes. The fact that it doesn't really matter. And, and it didn't matter whether they had a team of all stars or not, 
if they didn't have psychological safety, they were not high performing. So it didn't matter who made up the team. And they looked at all of this stuff. And one of the things they found after they came to this conclusion was they found a manager who had stage four cancer. And he told his team that essentially he may not make it past six months. And they watched the team performance go through the roof because he created a galvanizing factor where people could share, where people could speak up, where people could be themselves. And they ran with it. And there was incredible vulnerability, right? Which is a key component of psychological safety. It allows people to be vulnerable, right? And and for other for people learning what psychological safety is, it's the ability to speak up, share yourself, and actually show up. But it comes down in three parts of it. One, that you know people on a deep personal level. Two, you can take risks on a team. And then three, you're able to ask questions and not feel embarrassed or shamed or anything negative if you don't understand it. And that, it seems sort of simple, the concept, right? And those three things, but you rarely see them and you only see them in the top performing teams. And And I watch this all the time and I can tell whether a team's high performing on whether they have those things or whether they don't. And it's pretty rare when you see it because it's not something normal that an organization. So that's what Google found. And it's pretty interesting to see. Now the challenge is, is trying to create psychological safety. Right. And I, I right. think that, um, the problem I see today with it is that really absence of creating belonging and connection between people. Yeah. These efforts I think are important and they can work, but you've got to get people to care about each other and you've got to get people to trust each other because if they don't, you really won't see the psychological safety emerge overall. And I, and again, I think that self-disclosing information and sharing it with people is the quickest way I've found to get there with my own clients and just people in general, because that's the end state of where they get to when they're in that psychological safety to be, you know, when you actually see them. So, yeah, um, you know, we, we're talking about critical foundations of, a, of an organization, clearly vulnerability, uh, which requires psychological safety, are there, are there, is there anything else that would be under that umbrella? Yeah, I think a couple things. One, I found a truth telling is a huge piece of it because the problem is when we don't tell each other the truth and we don't speak up. We don't know where we stand with people, where we stand on issues. And that really goes to managing risk, right? Because a couple things happen. One, and we don't manage risk. Um, you, you don't speak up. You'll see this with Nokia, right? I mean, Nokia knew the iPhone was coming, but their managers wouldn't tell their senior leadership because they didn't want to hear that the company wasn't performing well. You know, mm. Volkswagen, Wells Fargo, all of those things really show that. It also is an innovation loss because people aren't willing to speak up and share information and tell the truth. Gartner Group did another study where they were looking at billion-dollar companies, and they looked at employees, and they found that if an employee did not see an issue that was going to cost more than $100,000 in terms of loss, they wouldn't speak up. Wow. So it's a pretty massive loss. Now, on the truth-telling side, the other thing that happened a few years ago is that I wondered really how 
people that I was coaching and interacting with on a corporate level, how well did they know the people that they were managing specifically, but just interacting with in general, rather whether it was colleagues or people that were above them? So I asked them a simple question. I said, if I asked you on a scale of one to 10, one being poor, 10 being great, within plus or minus one to tell me and rate the relationship that each of the people you report into would give you, right, in terms of how they viewed you. And I said, how, how, how accurate did you, do you think that you would be? Could you get all the people reporting in you within plus or minus one, which is a decent range for someone to get and something that they should know, right? I mean, it's someone, you know, and when I started to ask people, um, I got people hemming and hawing. And so then I bet people, I said, I will give you $1,000. And I literally put it on my pocket on the table. <laughs> if you bet $50 to me and are willing to go do this exercise, right? And how willing and how, how much are you willing to put on the table that you could get plus or minus one comparing your answers with what your direct reports would say about their relationship with you? And after mm -hmm. 100 people, I got zero people taking me up on the offer. <laughs> Right. And the reality is, is that people have no idea. And then when I had, you know, people that I was experimenting with go and actually write it down and compare, people were typically way off. They were usually within two or three off of where they thought they would be with a considerable amount of their direct reports, um, either high, low or some, you know, it didn't matter what direction they were not accurate in how they actually rated that relationship. And all of those people said things, most every instance I had, that they did not really know that was going on or were unclear about. And, could, and then they could actually take action on it and improve the relationship, right? Because then you can right. ask a question. The next thing is, why, do you, why are you rating me whatever you are, right? No matter what number it is. And then you can ask the final question, how can I move that closer to a 10? Well, then you know exactly what to do. That person is telling you, and you can then report back to them on progress. And so essentially you can take every relationship to a very high level and constantly monitor it. So you never have to worry, are people mad at you? Are they harboring ill will? Are they upset? Because if you consistently ask someone that question, you know, either once a month or even once a quarter, you can manage all the relationships and all the people you work with within each person probably 10 minutes and it'll save you hours or tens of hours in eliminating a problem. And I would say the last thing would be, I think it's operationalizing values. I think the problem that happens at organization, and again, another Brene Brown thing is that um, when I look at value statements that people have, the problem is, is that you can say that you want to create an environment where I, you know, we all want to work together and be great teammates and colleagues, but there are value statements that hang on the wall that no one follows, right? There are the things on the website that people laugh about saying, ha ha, you have those values, right? <laughs> but the company yeah. and organizations or even at a team level that are, are excelling write down under the word teamwork, right? What does teamwork look like, right? It's when Bobby helps uh, Joe do extra work without being asked or offers to help at least, right? And if you write down statements of how that actually you'd show up at work and embody that, then the manager can look through that and ask the employee and talk about it 
and have a conversation. Actually, that's how you, you know, do performance reviews or check-ins, right? Mm -hmm. And you monitor the situation. Are you actually living the values, right? Because then you can create the environment that you want in the organization because you're rewarding people and also making them accountable for the specific actions behind the values that you want to happen. And it's critical you do that because you're not going to have the foundation of the organization you want if you expect people to do things magically. Yeah, those are a, that's a great answer. Um, how do these foundations, you know, safety, vulnerability, how do they relate to managing risk? I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, but I'm Well, curious. I think the thing about it is, is that when what will happen is I'll give you an example. So when I'm, when I, when I'm looking at the, the highest performing team and let's say the leader comes in and asks a question, right? Like a serious question about a problem that's going on or think there's something they have to solve or a way to create more revenue or really in, in any, all those things popped up when I was overhearing teams. Well, what you'd see is let's say there are 10 people in a team, all 10 people would speak up. And they would share information and share their ideas, right? Now, they may not be right. They, you know, some may speak more than others, but you'd hear from everyone. When you started to get down the ladder in the top 25% team, you may only hear from seven or eight people. And then it would cascade down even further. So the problem is, is that, you know, like I had a, a CEO tell me lately the problem that's going on is there's a silence, a deafening silence going on. But the only person that's not, that doesn't hear it is him. Because hmm. people in the organization know what's going on, right? They're just not sharing it. I mean, a great example of, of that and the risk that goes on is that Jack Welch, when he was a, a GE, something he did early on was he went out to every plant the GE had and he met with the managers for an hour to understand like what were the issues and concerns and other things from their point of view and what was going on in the plant. And then he went down and was on the plant floor for eight hours working, right? And talking to people. And then he went upstairs and met with a management team and he said, unfortunately, I know more about this plan in eight <laughs> hours and what's going on than you do being here every single day. I don't want to come back the next time and be more informed than you are. Get down and know your employees and figure out what's going on and correct the things. And he would tell them what to do, right? Well, this happens all the time when it turns to risk, right? So I think that when you don't have these types of things, you won't have people doing things like skip level meetings, right? Um, really people talking with skip level meetings are when like say a vice president will meet not with the director, but with their manager or frontline employees to really understand what's going on. And it, it obviously keeps everyone informed, but that's the things that are happening. Right. And, and you want to have an environment where frontline employees or managers can feel free to actually share information with people higher up and go in and talk about this. And when that's not happening, people aren't aware of this stuff. And you hear everything about the Me Too movement and harassment. You mentioned lawsuits earlier. Well, when people feel like they can share and their voices are heard, the legal ramifications go way down because you can actually have a conversation with them and do corrective actions. It's right. just when people feel like they're wronged, people feel like they aren't heard, 
they then act out in ways that they normally wouldn't do, right? With people that they really care about at that point. So I think it's something really important to think about when you're managing risk. This stuff all goes to help you reduce that. And simultaneously, it increases the bottom line. So you do both. Right? It's kind of like increasing the accelerator and then taking, you know, your lever or off of the brake. That's um, yeah. I mean, this this whole risk, you know, and vulnerability thing, it makes me think about, you know, our organization and how insulated, you know, we are from leadership. And every time that our CEO talks to us, he always ends the meeting with, you know, my door is always open. I'll always answer your phone call. And I don't know a single person that's taken him up on that because they're afraid, you know, that of course. if they say, you know, oh, I'm, having, I, I'm concerned about recent decisions that were made, that, the, that they'll just turn around and say, you're fired, you know, which I know he wouldn't, I know he wouldn't do, but, you know, it's such a big risk. How yeah. do you get people to take these risks? Well, let me let me let me pose another thing to you. Do you not think that that would change if he went out and started to sit down with employees and get to know them for ten or fifteen minutes proactively? Right. I mean that would that would change how people view it because here's the key thing about vulnerability: someone has to lead, and what happens is the more senior person organization has to lead because when they do that, right, when they share information or being proactive, what it does is that it's safe to share with me because I wouldn't be coming and asking you these questions if I didn't care and I didn't want to share with you. Right. And so the key is, is that you have to do this. So what I'll, what I've done plenty of times is I've gone into senior leaners and I've said to them, so for 15 minutes, three days a week, I want you to walk around and only for 15 minutes, not 16, not any more, not any more than like three times a week. In fact, if all you have time is for twice or even once a week, just do it then, but just do it at least once a week and ask people how they're doing. Just ask them mundane questions. I don't even give them any questions to ask. And what will happen is after a month is they'll come back to me and say, wow, it's incredible. People are happier. They're more engaged. They're smiling at me. They're coming up and saying things. And I'm like, yeah, because you show that you care and they're open and that you actually, they matter because you're going up to them and asking them how they're doing. And before you weren't, and you can't mouth the words, you actually have to model the behaviors you want people to do. So if you want people to come to you, and the CEO wants people to come in their office, he has got to come and meet them first. Because that's showing them that I am doing what you're telling me to do. What the problem with leadership is, if, they, if, if you say something, but you don't actually walk the walk, you're just talking the talk, just like the saying goes, well, then what happens is that it, it doesn't matter, right? And people don't take it. And in fact, it actually goes the other way. Right. They have plenty of lessons in their life where people have done that and it's backfired. And usually it does because those people they found really don't care. Now, in your instance, that may not be the case. It's just that people have been trained the other way. So they have to actually get out and do these things 
and you'll see a radical change what's going on and how much you learn from people. And this can go from any level, right? I mean, this goes from a manager down to any employee, right? If you just walk around and start talking to people and get to know them, you'd be amazed at what will happen and the feedback and how proactive people will be want to do because no one's doing it, so you stand out. And when you stand out, people know that you care. And when they know that you care, they're invested in your success because they don't want someone like you to leave because now they're going to have someone to replace who won't do the actions that you're doing. Right. That's a great answer. Um, we're running a little bit out of time, so I'm just going to finish up with one last question. Uh, you, you mentioned the game before that you created. Can you just talk about how it came about and and uh, how people can get started with it? Sure. So I took that, you know, when I was going through all of this stuff and talking about engagement, one of the things that we brought up before is it's hard to simulate and, and let people see and experience how does all this information come to life? Because we've all heard speeches, we've been to workshops, and we've taken online classes and read books. But until we can experience it and, and get the evidence firsthand ourselves, like, we're not going to believe it. So what I wanted to do is to try an easy activity or exercise that anyone could do in any place, essentially for free, right? Without even having to hire me or do anything else. So they could see that this could work and they could build high levels of trust with people and be vulnerable and create psychological safety among strangers, just like Professor Arthur Aaron showed in his study. So what I did was I started to create questions in a game and um, just a little funny story is when I first started doing this, I came up with questions. I went to a coffee shop. Uh, I went to coffee shops and I started to ask people questions. Like I'd say my name and then I'd ask them questions and people were backing up. And literally, I thought they were going to run out of the coffee shop a couple of times. I thought people might actually like call security. You know, I mean, like they, it's just it's very invasive. And then I shared them what I was doing and then they gave me feedback. And then what I did the next time I went out was I brought the game itself and showed people and they just started answering it. Hmm. And then at the third time, I didn't bring the game, but I told people there was a game and I wanted to play it while we were standing in line waiting for coffee. And the same thing happened. <laughs> so, and then from there, what happened is, is that um, I, I still didn't believe it. So I called an acquaintance of mine and said, why don't you get seven of your friends together? And I've got this fun game. It's a question and answer, get to know one another. And, you know, these people will get to know each other and it'll be something fun. So I thought I'd go out for an hour and I only got through, the goal was to get through 13 of the 36 questions um, of Professor Arthur Aaron, because I, I didn't even use my own at that time and just leave. Well, after the first, you know, after the first hour, I was about to get up, I, I was getting out of my chair and people literally grabbed both of my arms on either side and said, you can't leave. <laughs> and I was like, well, why? And I'm like, well, we want to, we've only gotten through a third of the questions. So <laughs> I was there for three hours at dinner and only planned for an hour. And then it happened two more times. And I realized that at that point, there's something pretty powerful here about people sharing information. You know, as I was telling you before the game, I just went to the Oklahoma City Thunder NBA team and played this game. Um, and, you know, like everywhere else, it's galvanizing. People loved it. They got to know each other. Um, literally everyone in the room raised their hand and they did not, they learned significant amount of information about other people within a very short period of time. 
because I don't play it for 45. We played it for a lot less than that, and that they didn't even know right, about each other. And so this happens, and I do this in a lot of organizations, like companies like Google, Amazon, Southwest Airlines, Gillette, you know, Blue Cross. I mean, all these people, it's, they're using with employees, and it's working exceptionally well getting people to know it. And people can download it for free. Um, they can go to cardsagainstmundanity.com, and you can download the game. There's an FAQ. There's instructions on how to play it. Um, so you have really everything on there to go. And it's just a group game. You just have, have one question, everyone answers it. And you just keep playing rounds with people. And you can do it in groups. You can do it one-on-one. You can do it virtual teams. You can do it across working groups. You can do it outside vendors. I mean, all this stuff is like we, we talked about today. It's just, it's about increasing trust with people so you can work better, more easily with them and communicate and collaborate and it saves you a lot of time and it'll help you be much more successful. Cause then at the day, you know, just as well as I do, our success is based on our relationships and our relationship network and how we interact with these people. So why not have a better, better <laughs> relationships and make, and plus it's a lot more fun to go to work with people that you actually like and care about and vice versa and that they're invested in your success. Right. And even if you strip away the like, it's better to go with people that at least you don't dislike and you're at neutral. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds great. I'll make sure to include a link in the description. Um, you know, that last thing you said reminds me, my, uh, my dad was the the cook in the family and he would sometimes spend, I don't know, maybe four or five hours or, or longer getting a single meal together. And he would always say, uh, you know, you have to eat, so you might as well make it make it pleasant. Yeah, and he's sharing something with you, which is what I think we've all. And, and the last thing I'll tell people is that you've all done this before, right? And you you've created this because everyone listening has met someone for five or ten minutes, and in those five or ten minutes, you felt like you knew that person your entire life. You felt exceptionally close to them. Um, or you, or you knew them really well and what you'd find in that and what you did in that interaction is what normal people would do or 20 or 30 interactions it would take. And the reason is, is that someone was vulnerable, even if it was something super small and it may have been an experience they shared with you. And then you were vulnerable back, right? And you stair step this up exceptionally quick. And so the problem is we're not doing that with every relationship in our life and every interaction. But imagine if you could have every interaction or close to that where you had that feeling or at least a feeling somewhat close to it, you'd be way more successful and the people around you would be much more successful. And it's, and it's getting to know people so it's not hard. And it's something that anyone can do. This is a skill set we all have within inside of it. It's not something you have to learn or super hard or anything else. It's just something we have to make more intentional and prioritize. Well, this has been great. I, that's really um, pretty inspiring, uh, to be honest. I uh, think we'll have to end it there. But Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Hey, thanks a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And listeners, uh, we are always interested in any suggestions that you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Uh, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast. With any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general, or if you just want to say hi, 
Thanks for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.